Welcome to Busy Living Sofa. Busy Living Sofa. Busy. Hi, John. <laughs> See, Hi, Elizabeth. Every time I get together with somebody and I do a podcast, they always laugh when I sing that crazy well, I song. I never knew you were going to do this. I didn't want to tell you. I wanted okay. to surprise you. Okay, you certainly did. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for having me. It's quite an honor. Well, thank you. You know, this is episode 140. 140 episodes. There you are. John is <clears throat> number right. 140. I'm honored to be 140. There you go. I'm thank honored you. to have you on here. So will you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your story? A little, Give us a little background, if you would. Well, I guess the first thing is that uh, I was born and raised in New York, lived most of my life there. My wife and I, who have been married for 37 years, we always had an apartment in New York and a, a home on the Jersey Shore, a beach person like you. <clears throat> and I started drinking at 15, and I stopped drinking at 60. I'm now 73 years old. And my story, I guess, will be a little bit different than others, because I've heard your podcast with Marlene and Isabel and so forth, and they are very uplifting stories. Mine's going to be, <clears throat> I think, a bit different, because after celebrating 13 years of great sobriety this past May 21st of this year, uh, for whatever reason, I relapsed. Mm. And so for the past three months, I relapsed three months ago, the end of August, for only a week, thank God, but still, I relapsed. So over these past three months, I've given a tremendous amount of daily talking to myself about what went wrong. Because I was the person who believed I would never have a drink again till the day I died. And how this happened was really baffling to me. And so I've spent all of this time really looking back over it, trying to figure out what went wrong. And when you asked me to be on the podcast, it really kicked it into high gear. <laughs> and so <clears throat> hopefully some of this will help someone else not to do what I did. But I guess at the end of this, the good news is that I'm back. Uh, it really was just a, a week of terribleness, but I'm back to sobriety and had never been so thrilled in my life that I'm back. And in a perverse kind of a way, it was a great learning experience. So my liver and kidneys are happy that I had the 13 years and only went out for a week. So I know my day count starts again, but at least I had that 13 years. And so Here's what really happened. Uh, I think a number of things. So I'm going to go through one at a time, and you can stop me whenever you want. <clears throat> I guess the first thing was that I had a sponsor by the name of Bob McCabe. I can use his last name because he died a little over two years ago at the age of 88. Uh, he had 64 years of sobriety. Mm. He was one of the men that hired me into the financial industry, Wall Street. Uh, he was my mentor for many years. He became my best friend. He, uh, he was just, uh, you know, the best man I ever knew. And he became my sponsor 
about 14 years ago. We spoke every day. Again, we were best friends, so we spoke every day. We would go to meetings together virtually every day. We would go to breakfast three or four times a week. And so I had such a closeness to him <clears throat> that when he died, I was really left flat-footed. I knew I needed to find another sponsor. And as much as I looked, no one seemed to measure up to what my best friend Bob was. So as I continued to look and reject one person for no reason at all after another, suddenly here I was two, two and a half years later, <clears throat> alone. I had no sponsor. Actually, I had gotten to the point of saying to myself, maybe I could be resigned to saying, I've learned so much over these 13 years, and I was so close to my sponsor, well, maybe I don't need another sponsor. Maybe I could hang out with a bunch of guys from the room, have breakfast in the morning, and we'd kind of all be each other's sponsors. Now I'm gonna interrupt you for two seconds. And someone said to me, I'm not, I, I never interrupt anybody, but I'm going to interrupt okay. you for two seconds. Because for the layman person that's listening and might not go to 12-step meetings, will you tell them what a sponsor really is and what a sponsor is to you? So if there's a man listening and he goes, oh my gosh, what's a sponsor and what do I need to do to get one of those and what are they and okay. I've never heard of one. So what is it? Well, a sponsor is your lifeline of sobriety. A sponsor is the person you can speak to when life gets in the way. When those problems jump up and bite you, whether it's <clears throat> financial, marital, health, death in your immediate family, what have you, that's the person you can speak to to walk you through that process without having to pick up a drink. And they don't judge you, do they? They don't judge at all. They're totally neutral. They are only there to help and support. My probably biggest mistake was believing that I got this. I didn't need to have another person to speak to. And I would always say to myself, what one thing can jump out of the bushes and grab me that would cause me to have a drink? And the answer was no one individual thing. But the truth is, if you're not speaking to a sponsor, it's the cumulative things that are in your life that you're no longer speaking to somebody about. And the cumulative mm -hmm. effect of all of those things can come and bite you. And that's exactly what happened to me. So it was a tragic mistake not to immediately go out and get another sponsor. Funny about it is that <clears throat> on my phone, I had kept the last three, I recorded the last three conversations I had with my sponsor, Bob. And anytime I thought about a sponsor, well, I would listen to Bob's words to me as if he was still alive. And to this day, it would take too long, but I could put them on you here and talking. So not finding another sponsor or not believing anyone could live up to what my sponsor was was a tragic mistake because it's simply 
a person to talk to when you don't know where else to turn. And it sounds like Bob was not, and losing Bob was a big deal. It was a huge deal. It's like losing a family member. Yeah. He was my best friend for, I guess, 41 years. And imagine a man who, at the time, he needed a college degree to go to Wall Street, and he said, well, you know, this kid spent four years in the Navy. Give him a shot. He was responsible for me being able to get to Wall Street when I didn't have the credentials to get to Wall Street. That's how much of a good a guy he was. A big deal he was. He was a big deal in my life. He was the most important person in my life for many, many, many years. And when I lost him, it was kind of stunning. Yeah. And I kind of said, well, all right, I'll find somebody else. But no matter who I would look at, well, who could measure up to a mystical man? Right. Like that? <laughs> it wasn't possible. Well, in either case. but So two years you went with more in, in your walking in the morning. You're not talking to anybody, but you're going to meetings. Going to meetings every day, still doing the things I did. But the things that were inside of me continued to build up inside of me. They weren't being released anymore. It wasn't a daily talking to someone. And the second thing that really happened, because all of these points, there's four of them, but the second one equal to that is that I lost, without even realizing, I lost a daily conscious contact with my higher power. And the two important words are daily and conscious. I stopped saying, for whatever reason, I stopped saying thank you at night and please in the morning. Without really thinking about it or planning it, I took back my own will. Mm -hmm. It was thank you, God. I have this. I've got this. So instead of daily speaking to not only my sponsor, but my higher power, I lost that daily conscious speaking, praying, meditating to a higher power, quite honestly, without even realizing it. It just kind of went away. With that, the daily prayer, reflections, meditations, the readings that I used to do every morning, the 24 hours a day, the Hazelton book, which I'm back to, by the way. <clears throat> But that went by the wayside. Now, for anybody listening, for everybody listening, I want you to understand that I still believed that I had a spiritual connection. I still believed in my mind that I had a higher power and I had a connection to that higher power. But what I lost was my daily conscious contact with that higher power, because this is a daily reprieve. So if it's a daily reprieve and you're not speaking to your sponsor or a higher power on a daily basis, you're rolling the dice every day. And that's what I did without realizing it. So those two alone should have been enough. But then along with that, and again, Elizabeth, I don't quite understand how this happened to me. And I now see that it was two years in the making, this relapse. It wasn't something that just happened. It was two years in the making, and it was all my own fault. For many, many years, I was all about service, the way you are right now. 
with your wonderful beach meetings on Saturday morning. For everybody who's cold right now, Elizabeth started a wonderful <laughs> meeting where you put your toes in the sand every Saturday morning. Mm. So as an example, for three years, I was making the coffee. In New Jersey, we always lived in New York and New Jersey, so the meetings in New Jersey we would take meetings to other groups, and other groups would bring meetings to us. We don't do that down here, but up there, I don't know about Philly, but that's the way we did it. So I would constantly, at least once a week, I'd be with a couple other guys, and we would go take a meeting to a different town, the same way they would come and come into our meeting when we had our home group meetings, so forth. So every single week, I was out on what we called a commitment. Down here, I used to love to lead the meetings. And so a number of times, quite a few times, I would say, I liked Tuesday, because that was big, no, that was the step meeting. Yeah. And so I would say, okay, I'd like to lead the step meeting every Tuesday for a month. And so I was very active with service. But then all of a sudden, and again, this is baffling to me how my stupidity got in the way. I became complacent. Uh, I still shared at meetings. I still talked to other alcoholics, especially people from Wall Street. They would, their wives would call me up and say such and such is having a problem, and I would spend a couple of days speaking to them about AA, about the big book, about what they needed to be doing, how they could find a sponsor, a meeting, what have you. So I was mentoring people long distance, but I wasn't actually sponsoring anybody. Mm. I would get them on the right path, and then I'd move on to the next person. So I wasn't there to be a true sponsor. I was just the guy helping them out. Uh, I still went to an average of four meetings a week. But as you love to say, I wasn't in the middle of the program. I was more outside of it than I was in the middle of it. So between not having a sponsor, losing daily contact with my higher power, and not being in the middle of the program in terms of service as I always was, it absolutely set me up for the fourth point, which was the knockout blow. Mm. I was born and raised in New York. I am a real dyed-in-the-wool New Yorker. I uh, love everything about New York City. But when I got sober, my sponsor, Bob, at the time said, you need to get out of here. You need to get rid of people, places, and things. Mm. So we sold our apartment in New York. I got rid of all of the friends I had, good people, you know, who just drank, but they didn't drink like me, or maybe they did. And we moved to Florida. But we would go back up usually for a couple of days at Christmas or what have you, and I've always had a love affair with New York City. I love the jazz clubs. I love seeing the the top musicians, the, you know, watching talented people doing talented things. 
So on my 72nd birthday, in my infinite wisdom, not thinking about point one, two, and three, I said to my wife, I'd like us to get a really neat apartment in New York again, just for two years, just to relive that whole New York lifestyle again. I've got, at that point, 12 years of sobriety. I never, ever thought of having a drink. And so we went and got a wonderful apartment overlooking Central Park, everything you could want. I got back into, uh, uh, into doing the things I used to do. But even before that, when I really look at what happened, I left my support group behind. My support group is here. All the people I know are here. I went to meetings every day up there. I actually, before I left, I got a listing through Intergroup of all the meetings. I went to meetings a lot, but as an outsider. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a support group. I just had a bunch of people who I didn't know talking about things that I didn't quite understand anymore because they were in New York City, and I'm used to Florida now. <clears throat> so I really wasn't in the mix. I went back to doing all of those social things that I did 15 years ago. I went to every jazz club in New York multiple times, saw the greatest jazz musicians I ever wanted to see, all the comedy clubs, every Broadway show you could think of, all the art gallery openings, all the museums, all the fancy restaurants. I wanted to just relive my youth all over again. Well, the problem was without a sponsor, without a higher power, without being in the middle of AA, well, it just fell apart. And here's what happened. Uh, whenever my wife wouldn't want to go out on a particular night, I would go to a restaurant. And I wouldn't want to be Steve Martin like in that movie, The Lonely Guy, where this table's filled up with four people and I'm the only one sitting at a table by myself with a spotlight on me. <laughs> so I would eat at the bar in these wonderful restaurants, as did many people who were eating by themselves. One night I was in this wonderful favorite French restaurant of mine called Orsay. I had just gotten done with my escargot. I was waiting for my rabbit to come, <laughs> this wonderful rabbit dish. The waiter came up and said to me, John, I have this most incredible red wine that would just be perfect with that rabbit. And without even asking me, he pulled a glass over, he poured the wine into the glass, and without even giving a second thought, I drank it. I can't imagine, as I look back now, how did that happen? And it has to be because I was no longer following the program of AA. I thought I had it. I took my own will back. I thought everything was just fine. That word, I hate that word. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> so that one glass, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but that one glass turned into the bottle. I drank the entire bottle because that's what I used to do. 
you know, 13, 14, 15 years ago, I always had a bottle of wine with dinner. After that first drink, the reality of the matter was my defenses completely crumbled. Everything I had ever learned went right out the window. That first drink truly is the one that's going to get you drunk. And I broke the taboo and I had that first drink. After that, a few days later, I said to myself, well, no harm happened from this. It's okay. I kind of enjoyed that buzz. Maybe, you know, why don't I maybe just go and have another drink, but I'd like to have an absolute and tonic <laughs> the way I used to drink. So I went to one of my favorite old Irish bars and I sat down and I was only going to have one vodka and tonic because, well, what the hell, if the taboo is broken, why not have a vodka and tonic? Well, one became five. I was right back to the way I drank. It was as if I had never come to AA. It was as if this was the day after my last drink and I had just resumed doing what I had done. I didn't yet need a drink, but I enjoyed the drink. I enjoyed, again, embarrassed to say this, but I enjoyed the camaraderie in the bar. I enjoyed the laughter. I enjoyed the bartenders who were still there that I knew. I had a buzz, and life was just wonderful. Well... Right after that, what really happened is that the compulsion and obsession quickly returned. Everything I had fought against over my life left. So over the course of that week, seven, eight days, <clears throat> I lost 13 years of hard-earned sobriety. I went right back to where I was, drinking exactly the way I was, not only did I have my vodka and tonic at the bar, but I actually snuck a quart of vodka into the apartment and put it into the dresser because I might want to have a drink later on and there might not be a way to get out. I can't believe I'm saying this, but that's in fact what happened. So as I was sitting in another Irish bar on the last day, which what <clears throat> turned out to be my last drink, thank God, AA began to show its face again. As they say, you can't have a belly full of AA and drink. That's true. You can ignore it if you want, but suddenly Bob McCabe was speaking to me again. Mm -hmm. My higher power was suddenly speaking to me again. Even though I abandoned him, he didn't abandon me. The thousands of meetings I've been to, the tool chest that I built up, suddenly it was all there in front of me, and it all said to me, John, you are circling down the rat hole. And this time you're not going to survive. You're too old. You're 73 years old at this point. What makes you think you can drink like this and survive? I knew that I was lost. I knew that I had to make a terrible decision once again. 
And but here I was in the throes of alcoholism after one week, after 13 years of sobriety. Luckily, <clears throat> when I came home on that last day, my wife smelled it on me. Now, a terrible thing about this is that, as she just spoke to you, my wife had found that she had a nodule on her thyroid and that she was going to be going in to have surgery for this. So when she smelled it on me, she said, are you kidding me? At a time of my greatest need, you're telling me that you decided to get drunk. It had to be the worst, most demoralizing statement I think I've ever heard in my life because I had no response at all. And she said to me, get on a computer, you are leaving here tomorrow morning and you are going back to your home group in Fort Lauderdale and you're going to stand up and tell people what you just did, which had to be the worst words I had ever heard that <laughs> I was going to have to admit this. Well, in either case, I got on a plane. I came back. I stood up. I admitted what I had done. <clears throat> I, you know, now am back to I found a new sponsor who I is every bit as good as Bob McCabe was. I go to meetings six days a week, especially your new one on Saturdays. <laughs> Uh, I have gotten back to praying three, four, five times a day. I say, Jesus, please protect me from alcohol. Please don't let this happen to me again. I say, thank you every night. Please, every morning. I read all the literature I can get my hands on. When I go to meetings, I stay in the middle of it now. I listen to every word that's being said. It's not a social event. It's there for me to once again regain sobriety. Again, in a perverse way, I feel stronger than I did going back two years ago because I was slowly slipping away two years ago. Today, I am slowly, actually very rapidly building back up to the type of member of AA that I need to be to stay sober. So it's been a valuable lesson that, you know, if you believe you've got it, you don't. You can lie to yourself as much as you want, but it's still a lie. That everything that is said in the rooms is absolutely true. Get a sponsor, go to meetings, no matter what, don't pick up a drink. And because of all of this, I have left New York City. My wife continues to go back to our wonderful apartment. She's leaving tomorrow, as a matter of fact, for a week or so. But I will not go back to New York City, even though I have the apartment there, because I cannot put myself in that position again. Uh, everything I do uh, involves, if I did go back, it would be I would bring my sponsor with me if there was a show I wanted to see or something. So I've learned my lesson the hard way, and I hope that this will help somebody who thinks that you can get away with it, because the minute you take that first drink, you're doomed. You're not going to get away with it. It's all going to come back to grab you again, worse than it did the first time. So thanks. John, thank you. There. Thank you. Well, I just, for one, I... You know, I'm really grateful that 
nothing terrible happened to you. I am too. I mean, I'm so grateful. I mean, I because this isn't visual and I'm sitting in front of you, but nobody else knows this, but John started to tear up during some of this. I can mm-hmm. see it. I mean, there weren't tears running down his face, but I could see him getting emotional because we talk about being in the middle of the bed and people are like, what does that mean? And, you know, when I came down here last January and I was so scared because my dreams were coming true, right? Like I had a house in Florida. I didn't have to deal with these blizzards that are happening all over the country. We're in sunny Florida. It's 85 degrees and beautiful out. And my dreams were coming true. And I was feeling so squirrely, though, like, oh, my gosh. Where's my people? I had my people. I have my people up in Philadelphia. Thank God I love each and every one of them. But I was like, but I'm here now. And I had to go and say, oh my gosh, where are my peeps? I had to learn my new peeps. Now you're one of my peeps. And (laughs) we have each other, but we go and we go back to those places like the bars where they knew our names, like the Cheers show that we used to watch back in the day. And when you were describing that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's what we have in, you know, our 12-step meetings. We have these groups. We have that feeling of camaraderie. We know these people love us. They'll carry us no matter what. And that spirit that we need, that higher power of God, isn't we find in the bottle, right? We can't find it if we don't tell people where we are. If you don't speak daily to someone about where you are, it just builds up. And eventually it has to come out somewhere. So what's great is that I have people like you in my life who allow me to do this. It is a tremendous honor because... I'm ashamed of what happened, but at the same time, maybe it would help someone else not to do what I did. And you're right, the camaraderie in the rooms are so much greater than the camaraderie in the bar. But when you're in the throes of that first drink, it doesn't seem that way. I'm just so thankful that when I speak to other people, you know, I hear them say, well, I had that many years and then I went out for nine years. And these tales of horror of things that happened to me. I'm so thankful that it was a week, it was a bad week of my life. And thank God, and I really do mean thank my higher power, because it was him that pulled me back around. It, it, once again, and my fear when I came back, because someone said this to me, they said, what would happen if you, in the very beginning, went to God and said, please help me to never drink again and he grants you your wish and then once you have it you decide to break it and go out again will he listen to you a second Mm. time and that really entered my mind Jesus are you going to speak to me again and the answer is yes yeah. And you can't be ashamed, right? We can't be yeah. ashamed anymore because that's our ego, right? That's yeah. our ego. The shame is ego. Sure. It's it's yeah. not really, you know, because nobody judged you. And yeah. if the people who did judge you, they obviously don't have a great program anyway. Yeah. Well, it was the exact opposite of that. Right. I mean, people applauded me for standing up and saying it. And I was, I was dying. I didn't. I met with Marlene right. over breakfast and I said, Marlene, I have something to tell you. But please, I think I want to... I want to admit this in another meeting. I don't want to admit it here. She chastised me about how could you do that? You you need to stand up and, and do this. And she said the most incredible thing to me. She said, if it was me who relapsed, would you think badly of me? And the answer was no. no. So I have tremendous support around me, and I am so thankful every day 
that I do, because this is such a wonderful life, like we were talking about, that I muck it up with alcohol. Oh, it's amazing. But we have to get out of our heads. We've got to be there for other people. We yeah. can't judge ourselves. Like you said, your friend Bob, who was your sponsor for so long, he never judged you. No. Nope. So we've got to stop judging ourselves. No. And our journey is there to help another, right? Yes. yes. It's there Absolutely. to help another. And I I know that you for sure probably helped somebody today because I have a friend, George, that reaches out to me. He I know he relapsed and he felt so bad about it. But we can't, we, yesterday's gone. All we have is today. Yeah. And when we think we got this, that's another thing that you talked about. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we have nothing. You don't, you don't. You only have it for one day. Only today. Only today. Only today, a daily reprieve. And I love what you also said, which was all you had to say was please in the morning and thank you at night. That's not a lot, is it? No. No, it's a no, couple no, letters, no. actually. <laughs> but it says a mouthful down there. Thank you for allowing me to stay away from that today and please help me today not to be hit the default button that I'm used to please help me to be what I should be instead of the default button so it's been a hell of a learning curve it's amazing <laughs> and we're going to maybe talk to you when you have a year again and we're going to see how you're going if you'll come back be, on I would be happy I would to. love that and, you know, if anybody has any questions for John, please reach out to me at busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, at busylivingsober.com. And, John, I'm really, really grateful. I'm very grateful that you're here. I'm very grateful to have you in my life. And thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on. And thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being my friend. Love you tons. And um, until next week, everybody, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye.